So we are in a, um, a series of messages for Advent. This is the season of Advent. It is a time of uh, expectant waiting. We're waiting for something to happen. And um, in the case of Advent, we're waiting for two things. We're waiting for Christmas, but we're waiting for Christmas because it reminds us of what we're also waiting for, which is the return of Jesus. Jesus promised he would return. And at Advent, we look back at Christmas and we look forward to this Christmas as a, way, as a reminder that Jesus will eventually come again in his, in his timing. And um, we, we looked at that last week. Last week, we heard about the day of the Lord, that that. Big coming, not not Christmas, but the coming of the Lord. And we heard how people were afraid of it. And maybe if you've seen the the right movies, maybe you're afraid of the day of the Lord, that it'll sound like a a terrible event. But what Jesus taught us, and, and we saw last week, is the day of the Lord is not something we need to be afraid of. That actually when the day of the Lord comes, we should stand up and look up because salvation is near. The way we heard it in our song is we should lift our head the year of Jubilee out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. That that the day of the Lord is not something to fear, it is something to look forward to because then our salvation is near. But that raises the question when we talk about salvation, who are we talking about salvation for? Are we talking about salvation for us or for other people? Are we even talking about salvation for us? Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Do we count? What if we're not sure whether or not we're a disciple? What if, what if we've kind of, you know, we grew up in the church, but we're not sure, am I really a disciple? Am I one of the people that Jesus is talking to? Who is salvation for? And we may think we know the answer. You know, we, we've heard, you know, enough about Christianity over the years. Maybe we think we know the answer. But before, before we, we rush ahead and say, well, of course I know the answer to that question, we should consider how people would have heard this question when they first heard, um, Luke's account of the good news proclaimed to them. How would they have responded? Because I think by looking at the way they would have responded, maybe it'll give us some light on how we, we may have implicit assumptions about how we would, we should respond. So we, we begin by, um, asking the question, who, who is salvation for? And this passage immediately poses the question, what about people like them? You know, because, because the people who heard this, uh, who heard this, um, in Luke's original audience, they would have had an idea that there were people whose salvation most assuredly was not for. For example, Tiberius. Luke tells us that this was the, the 15th year of Tiberius, and then our translation adds who, which Tiberius we're talking about, the Roman emperor. And I think that's because they were concerned that maybe you thought it was James Tiberius Kirk. So, so, or maybe I'm just a geek. But, um, but they're talking about Tiberius Caesar. So he was the third, uh, second emperor. He was the first emperor after the first, uh, he was the second one. He succeeded, um, his, uh, I forget, his adopted father or something, Augustus. So Augustus was the first emperor, um, after Julius Caesar was assassinated. Augustus was the second. Tiberius, uh, this was the successor and the first emperor. And Tiberius was the second emperor. So that's Tiberius. Here's a coin, um, that was struck during his era. So, uh, the Latin is up there in the yellow, but you can see underneath it, it says, he is majestic. He is the son of the, the guy we call majestic. So he's Augustus, son of Augustus. And he is the divine Tiberius Caesar. And uh, then in the back, the reverse of the coin, it says he is the high priest. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how important it was to be a high priest in those days because people basically had to come to you for favors from God. So it was important to talk about Tiberius that people thought of him as the high priest. So we see that again here. 
But Tiberius, Tiberius uh, ran everything. Um, this is the area that Tiberius was in charge of, uh, northern Africa, uh, the, the greater province of uh, what, what uh, included today's Syria. The Romans called it Syria. It was a huge area starting kind of on the east side of the Mediterranean and heading east from there. Greece, Asia Minor, Italy, Spain, Tiberius ruled all kinds of things. But what we know about him historically is that he was not a good emperor. And I, I don't mean, you know, modern scholarship has kind of, you know, uh, decided, well, he wasn't so hot. I mean, even his contemporaries or near contemporaries said so. Here's, uh, this is from a, a Roman historian called Tacitus. He said he was infamous for his cruelty, though he veiled his debaucheries. Finally, he plunged into every wickedness and disgrace. When fear and shame being cast off, he simply indulged his own inclinations. So, you know, that's not a great epitaph. And the people who heard, who heard Luke's account first would have had that kind of uh, uh, mindset when they heard the word Tiberius. They would have thought he was a bad person who... Who, uh, who the last few years of his, of his, of his reign were basically, uh, anybody might be arrested on fear of plotting a, a revolution or something and, and killed immediately. It was a, it was a hard time, nearly a reign of terror. So Tiberius is not somebody that they would instantly say, well, of course salvation's for Tiberius, right? Um, how about Pontius Pilate? Well, if you're in that first audience, you maybe have heard your neighbor became a Christian and, you know, you know, you're trying to figure out what is up with that. That's such a weird religion. What, what do Christians believe? Almost immediately you would have heard about Pontius Pilate. Who was Pontius Pilate? Well, he was, he was the head of some province out in the east, but I hear the Christians don't like him because he was the one, um, under whose administration their Jesus guy was crucified. So they would have heard, if they had heard anything at all about Jesus and Christianity, they would have heard that Pontius Pilate was a bad person. And again, there are contemporary accounts that say that people didn't like him um, then either. But the other ones, they're, they're kind of, we have to zoom in a little bit to find out where, where they're at. So Pontius Pilate, he was down in the southern part of the, the Holy Land, this bigger region of, of Syria. So Pontius Pilate is down there in Judea along the, the bottom part of that picture. Um, but what about the others? Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Ituria and Trachonitis. And Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. We don't know almost anything about Lysanias. There was another man named Lysanias, but the timing doesn't work out. He was, he was a, a governor somewhere else. So um, other than that, we don't know anything about him. But uh, those guys are operating up here in the north. So you can see Herod is in Galilee. That's closer to the coast. It's kind of the, the heartland. Um, Herod Philip, he's, he's a, he got kind of a lesser impressive area, so um, the Golan Heights and things like that. And then um, Lysanias, he was the governor of this region at the southern end of today's Syria. So we don't know much about him, um, but the Herods we do know about. We know that they're better than their father. Um, speaking of their father, Augustus, the original emperor, Augustus said about... about um, <laughs> Yeah, he said about Herod, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. He said that because a different brother was assassinated by Herod. So Herod killed one of his own sons because he thought he was um, uh, plotting against him. And Herod and, and Augustus, when he heard about it, said, I'd rather be his pig than his son. And if we aren't suspicious enough of anybody named Herod, Luke will tell us just a few verses later, just a few verses down in the same chapter, he'll tell us, John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, so Herod put John in prison. And ultimately, after languishing there for a while, he had John beheaded. So Herod uh, is not a good man either. So 
What about the religious guys? Well, you know, they're religious guys. They're supposed to be good, right? But again, if, if Luke's audience has heard anything, anything at all about Christianity, they would have heard these were the guys who brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate. These were the religious leaders who were so upset with Jesus that they took him for the trial that was a, a sham. So what, what do we know about uh, Chia- Annas and Caiaphas? That, that they are not the people we would expect salvation to be for either. So, so as we, as we kind of begin to appreciate the way that this message would have heard, would have been heard by that first audience, we can see that there are problems with the idea of salvation being for just any old Tom Dick or Tiberius. <laughs> Is there really salvation for them? You know, I mean, uh, sure, salvation for me, sure, but, but for them? You know, I'm not sure if I go along with that. And that brings us to today, because I think really, in that light, we can see better the challenges of this idea of salvation for anyone. I mean, when you say salvation is for all, do you really mean all, all? Or, you know, kind of all with an asterisk, all? What kind of all do you mean when you say all? And I think for most of us, there are really two exceptions. That asterisk has two exceptions. The first one is, is you know, obviously bad people. Uh, carjackers, cat burglars, criminals, convicts. Democrats, or maybe depending on your your political persuasion, Republicans, Greens, Socialists, Libertarians, Independents, illegal aliens, or daughters of the Confederacy, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, salvation for them? How about Russian oligarchs? How about welfare cheats? Teen mothers, abortion doctors, porn stars, presidents. Who is who is salvation really for? Teetotalers and addicts, fentanyl dealers, pill-pushing doctors, globalists, nationalists, one-percenters, street-corner panhandlers. Is salvation for them? Really? How about grifters and scammers or white-collar criminals? How about factory farmers? How about vegans? How about LGBT activists? How about NRA Life members? How about child soldiers or Vietnam vets? Who is salvation for? I mean, surely... I'm not the only one who found at least one person in that list that I thought, really? Them too? And that is the problem. We wonder exactly who does Jesus mean when he says, lift your heads because salvation is coming. So for most of us, we have one objection, other people. And then the other objection we have is ourself. Because we know, if we're honest, we know as we go through that list and we start to think about all the people and all the good reasons that those people should not be saved, we realize that there are people who feel that way about us. The people that we did poorly with. You know, our our first spouse, our current spouse, our children, our parents. There are people who look at us and are asking that same question. They're scratching their head and saying, all? All people? Can be saved? So let's take a look at our message. What do we read here? We see, we, we heard about all these, these rulers and so forth, the high people, but then in verse two, we read that a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was in the wilderness. Well, where is the wilderness? Go back to our map. Um, there's a blue stripe running from Galilee to Judea. That's, that's running between the, the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Um, to uh, the Dead Sea in the south. 
So uh, that's the Jordan River right there. And uh, the wilderness is the part that doesn't have any green in it. So it's it's where no one lives because it's the wilderness. And that's where John is. Why is he there? Well, probably because Herod's going to cut off his head eventually, right? If you go out to the wilderness, it's that much harder to find out where you're at. You know, it's Helmland province in um, Afghanistan, kind of the same idea. So at this time, a message came to John, son of Zechariah. Well, we heard from Zechariah. Our first reading was what Zechariah prayed when John was born. So we know who John is, but he's better known to history as John the Baptist. And that doesn't mean that he would have worshipped at the church uh, diagonally up the street from Sand, Sand Lake School. It meant that he um, took this this ritual that some other Christian group, uh, Jewish groups at the time had developed, um, an, an immersive bapt, uh, uh, bathing he took that and applied it for a new purpose. He said, he said that what you should do is you should get baptized. And the reason he said you should get baptized, he said, was, um, to show that you had repented of your sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So baptism doesn't do anything itself, right? Baptism shows what you have done. What is it you have done? What is it that is the, the root or the, 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 the source of your salvation? It is that you have repented of your sins. Now, repented is a church word. We don't use it a lot. Nobody ever says, you know, I, you know, I forgot to take out the, um, the garbage last night, and so I need to repent of that. No one says that, but that's what it means. It means to change your mind. It means to rethink things. It means to, to have a, a mental rearrangement. So, so John says you should, you should um, change the way you think about God. Turn back to God. That in, you know, you're in a hole, quit digging, change your mind, turn back to God, repent. And you have a baptism to signify what you've done. So the word of God comes to John, and John goes from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River. So he actually leaves the wilderness and starts going to the place where people are more likely to be. He begins baptizing at different spots along the Jordan River. So, he preaches that they should be baptized to show that they've been repent that they have repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And then Luke says, and by doing this, um, we now can see that that it was John that Isaiah had been talking about when he said, He, John, is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Clear the road for the Lord's coming. How many of you saw this picture on social media? You know, so it's a great picture, right? Um, you know, Friday morning, there's, there's, uh, the Minnesota ramp there and, uh, uh, whatever it is, Tuesday morning, it's all better. Here's a picture. The Alaska DOT has a picture, uh, before and after. So that's the before and this is the after. So just amazing how they did that so quickly. And not just to us here who drive by it and say, that's pretty cool. But um, uh, The Verge wrote an article on it, the How Alaska Fixed Its Earthquake Shattered Roads in Just Days. So uh, a lot of people have looked at that and said, that's pretty It's pretty quick, how, uh, pr- pretty impressive how quickly they got their roads back functioning again. This is what John is talking about, or this is what Isaiah is talking about. Imagine it's uh, 500, 700 years B.C., okay, and you hear that a mucky muck is coming to town, right? Uh, there are basically in that day there were not there were not paved roads. Uh, there wasn't really much of roads in a lot of the er- area anyway. So you heard a big a big important person is coming to your town, and he's going to have sore kidneys from riding in his chariot on your roads. So how do you make sure he's going to be a happy mucky muck when he arrives? Well, you send people out in the same way, and you smooth out that road. You get that road as smooth as can be, so he'll be a happy mucky muck when he arrives. Right. So you do the same thing. 
And Isaiah takes that image. He says, you know the way we clear the roads when somebody important is coming? Well, just imagine that even more so. He says, fill in the valleys, not just the potholes, but fill in the valleys. Take the mountains down, not just not just a few little bumps, but I mean, bring the mountains down. Level out the whole place to make way for the Lord. And our translation says the valleys will be filled, the mountains and, and hills made level. Some translations get at the, the original meaning a little, a little stronger. It's actually stronger than that. It says every valley shall be filled and every mountain, not just one or two that are happened to be in the way, but uh, Isaiah foresees this, this image of a complete leveling of every obstacle. Every, every valley will be filled and every mountain will be made low. He says, the curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. That's the picture that Isaiah plants. And then he concludes by saying, and all people will see the salvation sent from God. This is the picture of what it means to be ready for the Lord. And he says, every valley, every mountain, all people. Isaiah means all people. All really does mean all. So what about that list of people? You know, the ones in your mind... And the, the, the reason that you're afraid maybe people thought about you doesn't how we act matter. If, if salvation is really for everyone, if salvation is really for everyone, doesn't how people act matter at all? Well, we haven't heard the message yet. So far, all we've heard is that the message came to John in the wilderness. Next week, we're going to look at the message that John has. So we're going to read the starting in verse seven, but but, you know, the short answer is, of course it matters. But the question is, how does it matter? How does it matter? I recently learned a new term. This comes from the young people. So I used to think of myself as a young people, and increasingly I realize I'm not. So, so I heard this term. Just out of curiosity, how many people uh, know what this word means to be confident using it in public? So, all right, yeah, there we go. So some people, so look around. See, the young people know what this word means. So leveling up comes from gaming. And I guess it originally came from Dungeons and Dragons. But but uh, later on it came to, to be applied to video games. And I think then just broadly to any experience like this, leveling up is... is um, is moving from from uh, 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 one layer of proficiency to another layer uh, within the game. So you start out as a as a second rate cleric, and then you become a wizard or something like that. In order to become a wizard, you don't just get to start as a wizard. You have to start as as a second rate cleric, and then you level up. You move from one level to the other, and that takes some while. It takes a while. So so the the picture here is, uh, or in in a video game, you may have to you know go through six levels. Of the game. I don't know how it all works, but leveling up. I love this word, um, and I was thinking about it because because that's what that's what John is talking about. He says he says what happens when you repent? What happens when you rethink how you feel about God? He says we level up. Every valley will be filled. See uh, the, the the language there. Who can fill a valley? You know, I mean, it's one thing to go out and fix Minnesota, right? We can do that today. We've got modern Earth Day, Earth moving equipment. We could, you know, if we had a big enough army of people, we could fill it in by hand. Sure, we could do that. But who could fill in a valley? Only God. 
That's why, that's why Isaiah doesn't say who's filling it. He doesn't say that, that, you know, you, the people of this region will fill the valley in order to make room for God. He says that the valleys are so vast. The problems that we face are so big. The only one ultimately who can prepare for the Lord's coming is the Lord. Every valley will be filled. So does it matter how we behave? Does it matter how we act? Yes. But it's not our problem to fix. Because our problem is beyond our fixing. Our valleys will be filled. But the reason they will be filled is because God can fill our valleys. God can change us from valleys to level ground. God can level us up. God, if we're in the hole and we quit digging, who can get us out of the hole? God will fill up the valley. So the picture here is yes, How we act matters, but it's not going to be what saves us. What saves us is turning to God who can level us up, who can get us out of our hole. So that's the picture, but there's one more thing I want to close with. And it's how we as a community of faith respond to this good news. Because I think sometimes as a community of faith, we, in that long list, the long list of people that we have qualms about, and we're not sure if it includes them, I think sometimes we as the church can miss the, the magnitude of good news in this passage. And that's very cautionary. There is a, there is a cautionary message here as well. Because, because remember, it also says every mountain and hill should be made low. You know, we started with Tiberius. Tiberius was running most of the, of Europe and, and, um, North Africa and a big chunk of Asia. Tiberius was running everything. Why didn't the message of God come to him? He, his coin says he was the high priest. Why didn't the message of God come to him? Why didn't it come to these other big shots? Why didn't it come to Pilate or Lysanias or, or Herod or Herod? Why didn't it come to any of them? Why didn't it come to Caiaphas or Annas? I don't know. They were bad people. Maybe they just could not accept the good news. But the message came to John. In the wilderness. See, God can go around us. God can go around us just the same way he went around Tiberius. The message of God will go to people who can hear it. And so as a church, as we think about that list, as we say, well, I'm not sure those kind of people can be saved. The lesson for us is God will go right around us if he needs to. Because all means all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for um, for the message of John, who, at great risk and ultimately the cost of his life, he proclaimed your salvation. He proclaimed this baptism which Jesus took and, and made a, a central part of our own faith. So we thank you for John. We thank you... Most of all, though, for the message that he brought, the message that salvation truly is for all. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to always be people who repent, that, that every time we find ourselves distrusting you and thinking that we have to make our own salvation, that we will turn back to you, that you will fill in the hole we have dug and level us up. And Lord, help us as a community of faith to realize that we are not gatekeepers, uh, that, that we have no control of your message, that if we get in your way, you will go around us. 
as you went around Tiberius and the others. Lord, help us to be faithful community. We pray it all through Christ's name. Amen.